it's about what you're passionate about and what your business is passionate about. It's a good place to start with what your internal values are for the business. Today's conversation is with Rupa Ganguly. Rupa's had a career in international trade and development at the United Nations and now runs a fascinating organisation called Inclusive Trade. She's absolutely passionate about the role of consumers in driving impact and change within industry. And we talk about lifestyle choices, what it's like to speak at Davos, and how it's important to tell the story of her products. Rupa, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I, I'm conscious that Inclusive Trade is a is a novel and different organisation, so I'm going to ask you to to tell our listeners actually what the business is all about and what you're trying to achieve. Thanks very much, Matt. Um, so Inclusive Trade is a um, at the moment it is an e-commerce platform. Um, what it does is that we link artisans and small businesses, mainly women entrepreneurs or women-led businesses, um, to consumers. And the the whole point of this is not just linking artisans to consumers, but actually artisans who have a positive impact, which means either on the environment or society or on the um, the supply chains. Because you know, as we know, um, once some of the key issues we have today are sort of based on the lack of transparency of supply chains. So we encourage um, small businesses to be very transparent and we work with these businesses in bringing them and their stories to consumers um, globally. Um, Our intention, our mission really is to build a global community of uh, both businesses and consumers, so B2C and B2B. along with artisans and small businesses around the world who have these beautiful products or create wonderful items. Um, and and basically, you know, together we could hopefully create a sustainable society by making great lifestyle choices. So that's essentially Inclusive Trade. Our current platform is an e-commerce platform, which is inclusivetrade.com. Um, but this is hopefully just the beginning. Perfect. Well, I'm keen to pick up on the uh, the choice that you've made to, to try and make a difference through lifestyle choices and working with consumers to make lifestyle choices. How, is that something that comes from your experience of a uh, background of working in the, the fashion industry? Or is that something that you've experienced in your uh, international trade and development career? Well, that's an amazing question, actually. I think it. Um, I probably would like to start with saying it's, it's a bit of both, because I think... Um, in the fashion and textile industry, as I'm sure it's one of the most sort of popular discussions around the world about how it impacts both the environment and our societies, um, both people who make product products as well as people who consume them. Um, so in a sense, for me, I guess, having worked in the fashion business, I started my first business when I was 17 um, in India, in Mumbai. And um, right from there on, really, it's it's been an absolutely amazing journey of learning the whole sort of supply chain and it's such a diverse supply chain it starts from you know right down to cotton or silk or the production of you know chips in a in a in a factory and all the way to your wonderful retail stores over here and the experience that you have as a consumer so i think the various aspects of the supply chain and the amount of impact it has, whether on sort of the people who are making it and their livelihoods, whether they're being treated right, whether they're safe in their environments, making the products, are they being valued? And, you know, one of the things that I've always said is 
it's not really about the number of people employed in this industry because quite often people make this a statistical thing. And, you know, we talk about, um, well, this industry actually provides employment to so many people. Well, that's a great thing, really. And I, I am a statistician, so I would say it's a wonderful thing. But I guess the bigger question is, how has it improved those quality, the quality of lives of those people? And is it that, you know, when you start off, let's say, today, and you measure their quality of life five years from now, is it the same or has it improved? And I think that makes a massive difference to um, really looking at uh, sustainability because sustainability cannot be just about numbers. It's got to be about quality and value. So that was one of the key things that I suppose affected me in the years that I've worked in the fashion business and worked with I don't know, hundreds of small businesses around the world, right from parts of Africa to Latin America to Eastern Europe and Asia. And, you know, at the end of the day, people are people. And we make choices that are um, very sort of based on um, trends or norms that are accepted. And if they're accepted, you will do them. And I think that is what needs to change to start with. Um, so that's where the fashion industry has had a massive impact in my uh, decision to, to start this. International trade and development, I mean, you know, you can do everything right. You can do absolutely everything right. Let's say I'm a super compliant factory um, working somewhere in a little village in Asia. And, uh, you know, I'm doing absolutely all the right things. But if I can't get my product out to you internationally or even nationally, if I don't know the regulatory framework, if I don't quite understand the trade uh, requirements to get products across borders, or if those are not, um, or if trade facilitation, as people in the trade world would understand, is not... um, is not basically in favor or does not help small businesses, no matter how compliant, and even if you've got all of that bit right, you're not going to actually make it. So I think those two angles for me were the sort of driving, um, sort of, I would say the driving points really in, in trying to set up inclusivetrade.com, which brought these two together and married international trade along with compliant businesses and bring them in a very sort of aesthetically beautiful manner to consumers who could appreciate and utilize them to make lifestyle choices. And it's interesting, isn't it, that that so much emphasis is put on the role of government and corporate in driving the right behaviors and, and, and people are measuring the impact that those two parts of our economy have. But actually, ultimately, it's consumer behavior that's going to drive change. It totally is, isn't it? Because, you know, when um, a couple of years ago I was interviewed and, uh, you know, we had, this was actually um, just after the unfortunate incident in Bangladesh, the Rana Plaza. And, um, you know, we were talking about, is it the fault of the big businesses and governments that this has actually happened? And while I'd like to believe that it's not just about one or the other, I think it's the whole sort of, you know, gamut of stakeholders. And I think we need to stop talking about shareholders and talk about stakeholders. And I think that is a point that I would love to come back to later. Um, But, you know, the one thing that I think as consumers, we are very, very prominent stakeholders in all of this. And if we don't take our role responsibly, and if we continue to feel absolutely delighted to buy five pairs of socks for one pound, you're going to drive this um, scenario. You're going to drive prices down. You're going to increase unsustainable practices because you want it, because you want these cheap prices. I mean, it's just astonishing to think that a pair of socks can cost less than a cup of coffee. 
it just doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, think about it, uh, you know, or a T-shirt. How can a T-shirt cost less than literally a cup of coffee or tea? So if you put it into that perspective, you need to think about how much goes into making something and giving the right value and, and changing our behavioral patterns um, in in wanting that. So, yes, while government, um, big businesses, the, the buyers, everyone has a role to play, as well as, of course, the manufacturers, consumers, you and me, I mean, you know, we can take that in our own hands. We can actually do something every single day. And I think that's where we should start. And as a, as a consumer, if you if you value uh, having an, an authentic artisan product from somewhere interesting in the world, there is a cost associated not just with the manufacturer of that, but the shipping and, and sustainable delivery of that to you as the consumer. Yes, absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, digital technology brings with it um, amazing opportunities. But of course, we have challenges. And as with anything that is sort of new, uh, we're going to hopefully learn better ways of doing everything. But at the same time, yes, there are costs associated. And I think people need to, I think as people, as a human race, I'd like to believe we're not completely... um, irresponsible. I'd like to believe that we actually do really have some sort of responsibility in us and we just need to be able to bring it out. And quite often, um, it's a question of it being made visible. If it's visible to you and you can actually see where the money's going or why it costs so much, I think a lot of people would make the right choices. And when I say right, again, it's about making conscious choices. What might be right for you might not be right for me, but, you know, you're making an informed decision. And I think that in itself is right over making irresponsible decisions. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that that need to make a conscious decision is, is paramount. And you know, one of the things that I, I observe and, and we've picked up in a number of the conversations that we've had as part of the project is so many people are afraid of making a start because of the risk of being seen as a hypocrite because they can't solve the whole the whole problem in one go um, and actually I think cons- consumers need to get over that they need to, to get to a point where you, you accept that there's imperfect solutions to and, and there are compromises to be made I guess at a, at a global a global level and I'm interested in this given your um, background with the, the UN, UN how, how do you balance the need to address poverty with the need to encourage sustainable economic development and progress, which might, you know, sustainable being the key word, but certainly to encourage economic development and progress without feeling hypocritical about, you know, what's happened in some parts of the developed world. Well, it's it's a very thought-provoking question, but I think the simple answer to that is just be yourself. Think about what you give importance to first and what are your values. If you're an individual, um, I mean, we all, you know, have passions. We all believe in certain things very strongly. And I think that's a very good place to start. Um, You can't solve global problems um, overnight and you definitely can't do it by yourself. But if every single person decided, right, I'm actually very, very... um, passionate about the climate, for instance. Um, Let's start with just making sure that every single thing I use uh, or make a change every day, you can't make a change overnight on absolutely everything, but start with one day at a time, right? Stop using, you know, disposable things to start with where possible. Uh, Or if they're disposable, they could be compostable. I mean, start asking questions, I think. Um, I mean, I think the problem is that people think they have to fit into a box, And I think that's been an issue quite long, for a very, very long time. And especially with trying to change the world and the buzzword of sustainability and greenwashing, everyone wants to to do the right thing. But actually, there is no right thing, is it? It's just about what do you feel passionate about and why not make one change? And honestly, that will have a massive impact. 
and, th- and thinking about about impact and and you know very conscious that that with inclusive trade the impact that that business can have has been very central to the to the business model many of our listeners will be involved in businesses that aren't a blank sheet of paper they're starting with a history they're starting with a colored in sheet of paper and and it's it's overwhelming sometimes to think about how can i have an impact where where can i start so We've, clearly, we've identified that, that the consumer has a role to play in that. But as a business leader, as, as someone that's passionate about um, whatever that personal agenda may be within the business, where where do people start with an impact campaign, an impact agenda? What, 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 how, how, what sort of top tips would you give people who are facing that daunting challenge of saying, actually, I want, I want this business to have an impact in an area that I'm passionate about? I think that's exactly, I mean, that's a great point you make, Matt. I think... It, it's about what you're passionate about and what your business is passionate about. I think um, it's a good place to start with what your internal values are for the business. I mean, if I'm sure most businesses here, even big businesses would have started many years ago and have, you know, a lot of legacy and history. Um, you know, you can't turn the tables, you can't change what's happened in the past, but you can definitely change the future by taking a small step. And I think a good place to start is to consider what are the values that that business truly believes in. I mean, you can't, have you can't do everything absolutely and that's a given but a good place to start is also the UN sustainable development goals um i'm not sure how popular they are with um with multinationals and big businesses today who've been around for a long long time um and quite often people believe that they have to start with creating um I don't know, um, a sheet of what impact we should have. But the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, also called the Global Goals, um, are a good place to start, really, because there are 17 of them. And they are uh, they basically superseded the Millennium Development Goals. And they range from, you know, um, reducing poverty to climate action to um, responsible consumption. There are 17. So clearly, if you look at them, there are, you know, you'll fit somewhere. <laughs> um, and I think it's a good place to start because there is a baseline. There's a baseline and your business can then see what impact you can have using that baseline. And you could set your own goals. You could start with one of the goals, for example. Um, this is just one of the examples that I'm, I'm providing because I think it's a it's a globally accepted set of goals. Of course, uh, there are many different ways. There are certifications and, you know, more and more companies are talking about B Corp certification today, which I think is amazing as well. Um, I think one has to look at the different options and really look inside your your organization and think about the values and start making changes one at a time. And when you did that within inclusive trade at the, the time you, you you founded the business were there any particular uh, examples of the those UN goals that you focused on? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, in my work, I suppose I've always been very passionate about women's empowerment. And um, I would say equality is, um, I mean, I've been very fortunate to to have had equality as a given. And I'm, I'm again, and I really find myself to be very fortunate. But I think equality is one of those things that are, that should be a given for everybody. So women's empowerment, which is actually gender equality, SDG 5, that's Sustainable Development Goal 5, is one of the areas of impact for us. So uh, what does that mean? It means that, let's say, you are buying a product made, let's say, a lovely silk scarf. Now, this particular silk scarf is made by this wonderful artist sitting in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, and it is having a massive impact on her life and her livelihood because you are buying that scarf. Now, how do you know all of that? We have a QR code on that scarf, which takes you back to her story, and you can literally live 
uh, the changes that are going on in her life by wearing the scarf. So in a sense, it's a beautiful scarf. We start with products. So it has got to be aesthetically beautiful. But then what impact is it having um, in a... What kind of impact is it having in her on her life and her livelihood and how much uh, of a change is it making? So that's SDG 5. The second thing that I'm, again, extremely passionate about, um, which, as I mentioned before, relating to the fashion business, is the transparency and responsibility, both in production and consumption. And that takes me to SDG 12, which is uh, Sustainable Development 12, uh, Sustainable uh, Development Goals 12. And this is about responsible production and consumption. And um, we link... Uh, almost all our products to transparency and we want you as a consumer uh, if you haven't already asked questions please do and um, if you're happy at least you're able to look at the entire chain you're able to look at the story behind the product and make a conscious decision and finally uh, given the garment and textile industry is one of the biggest polluting industries in the world um, I'd also like to say, on the other hand, on the flip side of that, it's also one of the industries which is highly creative and innovative. And, you know, we focus a lot on negativity, unfortunately, um, all of us do. And I wish we'd focus a little bit more about the optimism and the innovation that comes out of things. And technology is driving change in the fashion business. And I think recycled products, upcycled products, 3D printing, there's a lot going on there. So SDG 13, which is climate action, is the third pillar for us, which we take very, very, very strongly and are supporting businesses and and artisans and small brands um, who are producing or, or, you know, creating collections um, that have a positive impact on the climate change, climate action SDG. I was, I was really interested when you were talking about uh, bringing the story to life, actually. And it's the first time I've thought about that in a, uh, in a consumer choice scenario, actually. How, how valuable is it to me to understand the backstory to this product or is it just a supply chain? How important do you think it is in, in achieving impact to tell complete and transparent stories in in the sales context? Do you know, it's an evolving scenario right now. And um, I think you mentioned slightly um, earlier about companies that already have legacy. I mean, the fact that, you know, they've been built and you can't change things overnight. But um, first of all, from a sales perspective, purely from a sales perspective, I think this is an interesting, it's becoming more and more relevant to consumers. If you ask them perhaps 10 years ago, it might not have been as relevant. But with the exposure of um, stories coming out every day in terms of the lack of compliance or the or the impact that it's having negatively on the climate. I mean, it's only, you know, especially with the Gen Z customers and millennials, I mean, you only have to look at um, the stuff going on around with all the protests and things. It's not for nothing. It's because everyone there has a common intention now to change what the status quo is. So I think as a sales purely, if you're just looking as a sales and marketing tool, yes, of course, it's a big thing. But we have got to be very careful about not greenwashing because unfortunately, educating the customer is equally important. What exactly does it mean to say that something is organic or what does it mean to say that this has no... Um, chemicals that will, you know, have an undesired effect on your skin. I think the food industry has done a, a great job in this. And, the, you know, if today, if you look at the, the products you buy in a supermarket for or grocery stores, or even um, if you go to the greengrocers, there's a lot of um, transparency that has come across in the food chain now. And it has been, to some extent, consumer-driven. And I think the garment industry 
is a little bit behind in that. And we haven't demanded just as much because we don't consume it. <laughs> we wear it. But um, slowly, I think people are beginning to realize there's a lot of skin conditions that people have had over the years, like eczema, like, you know, allergies and things. And a lot of that has to do with the dye stuff that you use. I mean, why would you not question what you're wearing for 12 hours or eight hours of the day and it's touching your skin every moment? I mean, is that not important or equally important to what you consume internally? So I think those questions and more visibility about it, I mean, consumers will ask questions the moment there is a lot of education out there and more training available for the, the, the simple consumer on the street to understand it. I think it's interesting drawing that parallel with the food industry because the, the food industry has made... Uh, strides, leaps and bounds, arguably, by relying on a combination of the science and also um, the, 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 the chef community talking about some of those issues. Whereas the garment industry, I think, has had um, a, lot of the, a lot of the vocal conversation has been from celebrity, which I think can, can downgrade the quality of some of that conversation. I think if um, so, I think as stakeholders, as again, as I said before, it's not just about shareholders. It really has got to be about stakeholders. And if you, as a consumer, consider yourself to be a stakeholder, you need to be as active in it. You can't sort of sit back and say everyone needs to give me something um, compliant and not ask questions. So simple questions. I mean, you know, um, we're going to soon have a little um, set of ten questions on inclusive trade that we're going to um, provide for free, actually, to everyone. In saying this is like your little checklist. Go out there if you want to really start. You know shopping you know sustainably and you want to um, think of simple questions here are your 10 key points that you can look at and we're going to be soon coming up with that online um, the same thing applies for you know when um, celebrities can talk about it, and that's great but at the same time I think the businesses need to start opening it up um, and I think at inclusive trade that's been our core sort of fundamental mandate from day one really or day zero when we started talking about is that why would we not want our consumers to know what we're doing? It's actually in our benefit. It's in the benefit of the consumers. It's in the benefit of our suppliers, artisans. Everyone benefits from it. And um, I think more and more businesses that open up and start sort of, you know, providing this information, um, the more it's going to become the norm. But it's got to be sort of um, simplified as well because the problem, I suppose, with complex supply chains like the textile and garment sector, which can be sort of related to the automotive component sector as well, which is very, very diverse. It's got lots of little bits and it's very technical. So the problem is that you don't understand it and therefore it doesn't, you know, most people will just not take it on because it's too complicated. So I think it's our responsibility as business leaders or um you know, producers and um, retailers to be able to educate con consumers and simplify things so that people understand it in, in common language, basically. And I think that's sort of lacking still in the garment sector. So I think that is something that has to become more and more prominent. Yeah, huge opportunity. And, and clearly technology can help help with that. But it's enabling consumers to do their do their diligence, understand the backstory to to what they're, they're acquiring. And you're absolutely right. The, the, the degree of diligence Bearing in mind that you might be wearing a product for 10, 12 hours a day is is is, uh, is, is lacking, definitely lacking. We, when, when we launched the Zebra Project, um, Matthew Taylor from the RSA did the opening speech and he talked about, in the context of what's a good business, the importance of, um, and this was his phrase, creative communities with a cause. And you've talked a lot about community and the role of community. And I think that that chimes with some of what you've just been saying about stakeholder groups. How, how do you create that sense of community between uh, consumer, business, 
government in some cases. It's how how can how can business help create that community, and how can us as individuals and consumers help do that? I think more than ever today, um, thinking about linking groups of people, linking people across borders. Um, I think technology has a big role to play in that. I think digital platforms have a big role to play in that. Um, you know, we use um, social media and other sorts of digital platforms today to communicate um, for various reasons, you know, for fun and entertainment. But we also do a lot of business online now. And I think we will see a much, much larger use of digital technology in terms of people, um, you know, using Things like, um, you know, Skype or Zoom or, well, these are just a few that we've used so much. But, you know, there's so many out there, WhatsApp and, you know, communication tools that I think are just becoming more and more sophisticated over the days and um, um, and months. And I think if you go back to at least when I remember, we had something called MSN Messenger. But I mean, way, way, way back. Um, that was amazing at that time in the 90s. But, you know, today we've come a long way from there where we're able to see each other. We can have a proper dialogue and discuss. And bringing um, communities together, I think it it probably is a is marrying technology, one thing, which is basically probably the channel through which we can do that. But the second thing would be collaborations. And I think, um, you know, in the past, it's been very much about um, sort of um, hiding your trade secret or, you know, keeping it for yourself. And I'm not in any way suggesting that IP, uh, intellectual property, is not important. I'm not suggesting that. But I think collaborations have to take a different role today because no one individual is going to be able to do everything or no one entity is going to be able to achieve all of it because it's such a complex world today. And just engaging dialogue and partners, um, collaborations with government entities, with um, um, meso levels such as associations or chambers, um, as well as the consumer. I mean, technology and platforms can play the 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 role of you know the the technique or the tool that we use. But at the end of the day, it's got to be the um, des- the desire, if you like, of people wanting to share and collaborate. And I think the more we come out with collaborative approaches, I think the more we're going to win in this whole big struggle to achieve sustainability because I don't think anyone is going to be able to do it on their own. So I would say that the way, how do we see this happen? It's got to be a mix between desire and um, and the actual ability to do it. So yeah, I mean, more and more people should be visible, those who are changing things and uh, should have the tools to be able to do it. And the interesting thing about it is that you've you've built you know, clearly an, an exciting consumer-facing business, but you've also had to build the supply chain and the integrity of that and ensure the integrity of that supply chain from some quite difficult parts of the world. And in doing that, have you seen it as part of your role to help forge collaborations and connections for those manufacturers and suppliers? Oh, gosh, no, absolutely. I think uh, manufacturers, suppliers, brands are... I mean, almost partners in a certain way. I mean, I'm not saying that from a legal perspective, but I mean um, in a sense of, again, having a stake in the whole benefit or the profit of the business is absolutely important for them. And they are an intrinsic um, segment of the chain, if you like. Without them, we have nothing. I mean, it is all about them, really. And it's very much our role to support them in connecting not just with us, 
but with also the wider community. So, you know, we do use a lot of social media tools and other digital platform tools, and we are constantly um, telling their stories, and we're actually connecting them so that they're able to see um, or sort of access consumers, and consumers can look at what they're doing directly as well. And we have been questioned and saying, well, doesn't that reduce our competitive advantage? But actually, no, it doesn't. If anything, it increases the relationship that we have between our consume, our consumers, of course, but also our um, brands, our suppliers. They see us as trusted partners. And I think trust is something, I think it's the most valuable thing. Trust is the most valuable thing. And if you've got that, um, you know, you can grow from there. And I think that's the thing that one needs to spend time building. And and hard to have that trust without the transparency that you you know you clearly hold very close to your heart and 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 not least in telling the stories of genuine stories of of how these products are developed and by who and how they get to get to the consumer. Absolutely, and I think um, the whole angle of I mean you can use a number of tools and I'm sure we're going to evolve over the years as well. Um, you know, scaling is obviously uh, the only way to go forward. Um, this is a small little initiative we started here, and it's um, already gained quite a momentum. So we hope to scale this uh, in the near future. Um, but it is absolutely about um, you know ensuring that the transparency remains at the core and the values don't change as uh, as we scale. Because I've heard and I know a lot of people have said, well, you know, when you grow bigger, <laughs> you won't be able to. I was like, no, actually, if you've got your foundation right and you've spent time building that foundation, it will hold us in good state as we go further. And um, like I always say, it's, you know, you spend time building your foundation if you want to grow a really tall or big building. Because if you've got that wrong, it doesn't matter how beautiful the building is, it's going to collapse. So that's exactly what we've spent a lot of time doing. And, I, um, and I'm very proud of all our you know, suppliers, our, our teams. They're all very passionate and um, everyone wants to be a part of this. You know? So they all truly believe. And I think that's, that's what it's all about. It's about believing and making it happen. Thanks for listening to part one of the podcast. Part two is now available for you to listen to and enjoy. But also, please visit our website at www.thezebraproject.co to find out information on further podcasts and insights and also how to get involved with The Zebra Project. Mm-hmm.